one way to drive everybody Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Our Josie was making noise the whole time during the prayer thing in the back. If y'all couldn't hear it through the phone. So uh, so today we're going to be looking, it's the last part really of what we've been going through, which is how to read your Bible, looking at how to read the New Testament epistles. And uh, what my plan is for next week, um, I'm going to do a few things. But what the main thing I want us to do is if something we've talked about that you didn't quite understand or maybe something you've tried and it didn't work, or if there's a passage of the Bible that you want the rules that we've talked about to be applied to, I want to give y'all a chance and for us to talk about those and make sure we are clear and clear and, uh, you know, that there's no confusion going forward because the lessons, what we've been doing don't work if you're still confused after the lesson, you know, so I want to make sure that, and I would challenge you to take those steps that we've talked about. If you skipped a week, you know, listen to those online, test them out and, then come back next week with your questions and we or passages and we can talk about those and have a good time kind of like what we did with the old testament narratives but we'll have the whole bible for this one um i forgot to record the meeting for last week uh so i do want to basically get a, like a reminder of what we talked about we talked about the new testament narratives and basically you read the new testament narratives with the same steps as the old testament narratives uh, but there's a few things we need to remember. Uh, the first thing with the New Testament is that the books have a lot of parts about them that are topical arrangements uh, instead of chronological, which means the Gospels have stories that are arranged because the stories talk about the same subject instead of it being that was the order of what Jesus did in his life. And so for that reason, it actually is helpful if you're trying to understand a passage to look at the things around it, because sometimes that'll help you understand at least what subject or topic it's talking about. Um, it's also very true with that, that, especially in the Gospels, you want to look to see what Jesus was saying, because what Jesus, how Jesus describes an event is what the point of the event is, regardless of what else happens in that story. Um, the uh, second thing that was really specific about New Testament narratives is this idea of being descriptive or prescriptive. A descriptive story is a story um, that just tells what happened. And it's not necessarily saying that we have to do the same thing. And an example of that is the Ananias and Sapphira story where they give money to the church and they lie about how much they're giving to the church. And then Peter steps up to them and they die. Uh, if you lie to me about how much you're giving to the church, you're not going to die. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen today. That's a descriptive story. The descriptive stories, the point was to teach a theological lesson about Jesus or Christianity or the new covenant. Because you have to remember that the New Testament, the Gospels and Acts especially, is a time of transition from the Old Testament times, the New Testament times. And so because of that, there were some things that happened in order to basically emphasize the fact that they are in a new era, a New Testament era. And related to that, which we didn't say last week, um, is the apostles. The apostles were a special 
role that God gave the church to just those guys. And because of that, they could do things we can't. It's called uh, apostolic authority, like Peter telling those guys they're going to die. That was apostolic authority. I don't have that authority to do that anymore, even though it might be fun sometimes. Um, (laughs) uh, So apostolic authority, nobody has that kind of authority anymore. And that's what makes that time unique. A prescriptive story, though, is something that, in fact, is supposed to be done still today directly to us. An example in Acts would be after Peter's sermon, it talks about what the church did. That's a prescriptive story telling us what our church is supposed to be doing still too. Um, And so in a way, that's what makes the New Testament so much easier than the Old Testament to read with the stories is because of those prescriptive parts. I mean, it's just directly to us and we know exactly what it, and that's what makes the gospel so easy. It's just directly for us. The third thing with the New Testament narratives you need to remember, and I didn't go over this last week because I forgot, but I'll do it this time, is you have to remember that they have um, a different culture that they were written in. And sometimes when something weird comes up in a story, it might be good to look either in a commentary or something to see if it might be something cultural. And because that explains, sometimes that'll explain away some of the odd things that happens in stories. And so keeping that in mind. Um, Before we move on to epistles, is there any questions about the New Testament narratives, which we said were the Gospels, Acts, and the book of Revelation? All right. So now the last part, which is the New Testament epistles which is kind of like the Christian bread and butter. butter. That's the part we like the most. And I told you guys I was going to give you something that would help you and would be different, and I'm, I'm going to do my best to keep that promise. Um, and the easiest way, and I'll go ahead and say it, the easiest way before we get to the steps at the end of this uh, to study the epistles is actually to be somebody who is willing to write in your Bible. So... Um, for a long time, I was I didn't like that because I, I mean, I, I felt like the Bible is so special. I didn't want to write in it. I've kind of changed my mind, like in the last couple of years about that. Um, so if you do have, you know, qualms about writing in your Bible, you might have to get a piece of paper or something like that. But it's a lot easier if you do. And, we'll, and you'll see in a second, it's a lot easier to read the epistles if you're willing to write in your Bible a little bit. So what is an epistle? An epistle is the New Testament version of prose, just like the Old Testament version of prophecy and law. And so because of that, the New Testament epistles are designed to give us information. They're designed to impact our minds. Specifically, the epistles are logical arguments, which, Jim, I know you got to love that. (laughs) They are... (laughs) They are logical arguments um, from beginning to end. Um, Not only are they logical arguments, but they're verbal arguments. For most of the writers, especially Paul, they didn't personally write. What they did is they had a guy called an amanuensis, and they would... They basically were like me. They had terrible handwriting. And so they dictated what they wanted to say. And this amanuensis would just write down exactly what the apostle said. And because of that, the epistles are made to be heard more than they're made to be read. 
Um, and that comes into play when we talk about stuff in a little bit. And then the final thing about the epistles that makes them unique is that they, um, by their nature, are designed to do two, two different things. One, the epistles are written to address very specific problems with very specific people. And at the same time, they're also written so that Christians everywhere, it would be relevant to them, which sounds like a paradox a little bit, but that's, that, was their, that was their purpose. So they were first, the first purpose was to address specific problems with a specific church or people. Uh, usually how the epistles are written, <laughs> it's okay. Usually as the epistles are written, the apostle would hear about some problems going on with the church, either about what they believed, about what they were doing. And so he would write this epistle to address the problems that were happening in that church. And um, sometimes they don't tell you, like, this is the problem at the church. You kind of have to be a detective and using the clues from the passage, you kind of have to backtrack and understand what the problem was he was going through. And commentaries can help you with that. Um, The other thing that uh, is important to remember about that is it explains passages that don't seem relevant to us. Uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians, where it talks about um, the sacrificing to idols. I mean, obviously, we don't have a problem with people sacrificing to idols in our church right now. Um, but that's because it was addressing a very specific problem in a very specific place. The thing to remember, though, is even though the cultural garb sacrificing to idols is different and the way the apostle told them to address that problem is different the sin that originally brought that problem to light and the theology behind the solution are still true so we don't sacrifice to idols but there might be other things that we struggle with at the same sin problem which in the corinthian church was weaker christians feeling like um the more mature and I put that in parentheses because that's what they call themselves <laughs> in the book of Corinthians they call themselves the mature ones uh, the question is are they really that mature um, the weak quit Christians were offended by the mature Christians eating uh, from idols food that had been sacrificed to idols so that sin of mature Christians feeling like they can do things and weaker Christians just need to suck it up that still comes up in churches even if it's not specifically about an idol. So that's how you can kind of get, get around these uh, things. Um, and related to that, and then well, I'll, I'll just go on. The other thing about the epistles though, is that they're actually public circular letters. So by public, I mean, they read these letters out loud as if it was a sermon. They read them all at once. So I stood up here like at a pulpit and read the entire letter all at once out loud to the whole church, even the epistles that are written to one person. So even like the book of Timothy, the book of Titus, the book of Philemon, these were spoken out loud to the whole church in a church setting like a sermon. So they're public letters, not private letters, and they're circular letters. The churches were supposed to either pass along the letter or copy it and pass along the copy to other places. 
So even though the letters were addressed to specific churches and even like Timothy to specific people, they were expected to pass it along to as many Christians as possible. And so the, the epistles are actually intended both to be very specific and to be broad. And that's why we know we can still read it. That's why a letter written to Timothy still has meaning for us, because Paul intended for Christians everywhere to hear this letter, not just Timothy. And that should give us some comfort about that. So I, I, I think there's a three difficulties that I see people have when they read from the epistles. Um, first is, like I said, we see some of the problems and we see some of the solutions and we say those are first century things and they don't happen now. And what we do is we miss the fact that the sin behind the problem and the theology behind the solution is still here. And so, like, we can't just neglect the part where it says, be careful when you sacrifice to idols because we don't sacrifice to idols anymore, because the sin behind that still affects us. The second problem that I think people I see a lot of times with the epistles is that people separate the theology portions from the practical instruction portions. Every epistle is written with a pattern of theology, then practice as a result of theology. And sometimes they go back and forth, back and forth. Theology, practice, theology, practice. Sometimes it's the whole, the whole book. So like Ephesians chapters one through three is theology. Chapters four through six is practical instruction. And since the epistles are made to be read at one time, if you read like one verse and forget, like if it's one verse of practical instruction, like Philippians four, that's it and forget that there's theology in another part that is driving that practice, then you can miss really the point of what the author's trying to say, because he's making a logical argument for the whole epistle, not just one section. The third problem people have related to that is they, for some reason, the epistles are the worst about this, but people take one verse that's super catchy and they stick it on a t-shirt or they stick it on a hat or put it on their Facebook site and the way they treat that verse really has nothing to do with what the verse means in the book. Again, I cannot emphasize this enough. The epistles are logical arguments that build to a point. And so you, can't, you cannot take, and you can, this is true of everywhere in the Bible, but it's especially bad in the epistles. You cannot take one verse, stick it on a hat, and make it say what you want it to mean. It's got to mean what the author was trying to say when he was making his argument in the epistle. So with those, that kind of foundation in mind, here's the steps. And I've got um, five steps. And these, unlike some of the other genres, are legitimately like five consecutive steps, unlike the narratives and stuff where it maybe wasn't so consecutive. So the first step in reading the epistle is you have to zoom out to the whole book. Like I said, it was a, an epistle written to a specific city. So it helps, for example, if you're about to start an epistle, read a little bit about that city. Some Bibles have introductions beforehand. Um, cities tended to have rituals, religious rituals. Cities tended to have sinful habits they struggled with. And the, the epistles address those things. So it's helpful to know the city. 
Uh, also read, zoom out, read the whole epistle before you start reading and studying each individual part. Uh, Romans is a little long, but you can't complain about things like First John uh, that are short. Because, like I said, they're intended to be, they were intended to be read all at once. So read them and maybe read it more than once completely through before you really start to slow down. Because that's how the author wanted you to read it. Um, and with those, you should be able to get a good grasp of the city and the audience. So that's step one, zoom out to the whole book. Step two is out is, and I'm going to have to break this down a little bit. Um, oh, I have a whiteboard. I forgot. Last few weeks have been uh, at home. I haven't had a whiteboard, so now I can write some. I need an amanuensis. <laughs> out. I scooted this. Oh, y'all still can't see it. Man. Well, there's a light. There's a light hitting right here in the video. Zoom out to the whole book. Y'all can't see in the back either. Well, I'm not going to get another marker right now. I guess I'm not using a board. It's okay. What, what were you writing? Zoom out to the whole book. Remap the Okay. Zoom out to the whole book. So step two is outline the argument by starting big and going small. And let me explain what I mean by that. Outline the argument by starting big and going small. First, find the paragraphs. Your Bibles, most Bibles actually go ahead and divide those out for you. Super helpful. Uh, the NASB, if you read that, they divide the paragraphs by bold facing whatever the verse number is. Uh, the other ones do the classic indent, but for some reason the NASB decided they're just going to bold face the verse. After you find a paragraph, single in on a paragraph and find the sentences. This is an important step because usually a sentence, sometimes a sentence can take up more than one verse. And it's, the sentences are more important than the verses. The verses were not written by the apostles. I'm sure you all knew that. They were written hundreds of years later by a guy uh, who just decided to do it and we just kept them. So after you find the paragraph, take that paragraph and figure out what the actual sentences are, not what the verses are. Third, and this is where you want to start, if you're writing your Bibles, it can help. Highlight all the verbs you see. Because the verbs tell you what you're supposed to believe or what you're supposed to do. And that's the two most important things that the apostles are trying to get at. They're trying to get you to believe something or they're trying to get you to do something. And so highlight the verbs so they catch your attention. And then finally, either circle or underline somewhere that you can distinguish between the verbs, the conjunctions. Um, because this will show you how, uh, well, when we get to the third step, it'll help you out. It'll show you how the author is building his argument. So if you highlight, not highlight, if you circle or underline your conjunctions, that can be helpful in seeing how the author is about to build his argument. So that's the second point. Outline the argument by going from big to small. Go from paragraph to sentence to the verbs to the conjunctions. Step three is you find 
the argument he's trying, the main point of that paragraph by um, starting small and going big. So um, now that you have these conjunctions, you need to ask yourself, what is the purpose of every sentence in this paragraph? Or in other words, another way you can ask yourself is, how is this author using this sentence to contribute to the argument he's making? And if you write in your Bibles, you can actually write in the margins next to those sentences what the purpose of that sentence is. So like in every paragraph, usually there's a main sentence. Just like in what you write, we talk about topic sentence. Usually they have a main sentence somewhere. It might not be at the top. I'll tell you that. It could be in the middle or something. So write next to that sentence, main sentence. And then ask the other ones, looking at the conjunctions, you know, is this giving a reason to do the main sentence? Or is this an example? Or is this proof of why it's true? Or is it motivation to do it? That kind of stuff. And you can write those in the margins of your paper. Um, All right, so that's, that's number three. I was just making sure that three and four are kind of similar. Uh, number three is take those sentences right in the margins, what each sentence purpose is, and the conjunctions are gonna help you with that. Um, the fourth step is you think theology, and that is you pull out that main sentence. You found your main sentence in the paragraph. You pull out that main sentence, and so you, you take that and you say, okay, what is this main sentence trying to get me to believe if it's a theology section or do if it's a practical section in the epistle? So what is the author trying to get me to believe or do in this main sentence in the paragraph? And then the last step is you apply the text. And this takes one of two forms depending on the topic sense. If your paragraph is a theology section, like I said, they usually had theology sections and practical sections. Then you ask yourself, how should I live differently because of what this main sentence says? And the other sentences in that paragraph are going to give you ideas on that. So they might give you motivation to do it, or they might tell you how to, to do it, or they might give you reasons to believe that. Um, and that's the same thing. And then the practical sections, you say, okay, I need to do what the author's telling me to do. And again, the other sentences will tell you why you should do it, how you should do it, uh, the results, if you like the good results or bad results, if you do it or don't do it, that kind of stuff. And those other sentences will basically encourage you and also motivate you and tell you how to do that main topic sentence. So if you understand, so that's the, that's the, the five steps. Zoom out to the whole book outline the argument, find the main point and the, what each sentence is for, decide if it's a theology section or practical section, and then apply that to your life using those other sentences as help. The, uh, the way this is helpful is the Bible is always better reading it the way the author intended you to read it. And so if the author is making a logical argument it's helpful if you actually try to follow his argument instead of just pulling out random stuff. 
which is what I found to be what most people do in the epistles. And so if you can actually see what the argument is, is and how he's arguing what he's doing, it'll really feed your soul way more than just glancing over stuff. So I promised you that you'd be learning something new with the epistles. <laughs> Did I accomplish that? <laughs> I got some head shaking online for sure. Is there any questions about reading the epistles? Could I ask you one question? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, go. The five steps again. Zoom out. Um, outline. Mm -hmm. Highlight. Circle the conjunctions. Mm -hmm. What have I missed? How the author wants you to read it. Main sentences to do believe. And apply the, to your life. And you can go down to the theology and practical sections. Yeah. What have I missed? That's about right. <laughs> um, that, that's about right. Once you do the highlighting and the circling the conjunctions, you can write, if you are willing to write in your Bibles, you can write next to each sentence um, how that sentence is, is contributing to the author's argument. Like, is okay. it a reason or is it an example or is it a way to do something? That kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You can write in your margin what the purpose of that sentence is. And that'll help okay. you see the author's argument. That, that stuff is in between uh, that and applying. Do you, okay. do you make a conscious attempt to do all these things or does it just come natural with you? Um, when I, um, uh, I mean, when I do my sermons and stuff, obviously I, it's a very conscious attempt. He, Jim was asking, is this something I do consciously or is this kind of like second nature when I'm doing my sermons and lessons and stuff? It's a very conscious thing. I'm making mm -hmm. sure I'm taking care of that. Um, or if I'm going through, sometimes I choose to go through a book really slowly and just study it in depth. Um, mm -hmm. I'll do that. And I'll, I'll read that kind of stuff. If I'm reading quickly, then sometimes I use more of a, a natural, just kind of feel it kind of thing. Um, for example, like I try to read the Bible about every two years, all the way through every two years. It's kind of hard to circle every conjunction and highlight every verb if you're trying to read multiple chapters at once. Uh, so at that point, you know, I, I don't really do that. I just kind of feel out the argument. Um, as I go, this this sounds like a uh, college course. Are there books written on um, or on this subject that mm -hmm. you can reference? Yeah, uh, I got one in my, my office. A whole book on reading epistles. If anybody wants to look at it, um, I don't think. I'd have to check. I don't think the author uses or requires the Greek in it. I think he uses it so people in English can still read the English and use it. Uh, I'd have to check on that, but I know I have at least one that's about how to read epistles. Okay. Did you have to take a course in seminary similar to 
the, the lessons you've been um, teaching us over the last few weeks? Yeah, so can y'all hear him? Okay. Um, yeah, so I took two, I took a master's level course on how to read the Old Testament genres. Mm-hmm. And I took and I took a PhD seminar in how to read the Old Testament genres. Uh, and in that PhD seminar, we read 12 books over the course of that semester and uh, multiple papers. And then in the New Testament, uh, I did some stuff on masters about the New Testament narratives, but I took a PhD seminar solely on how to read the epistles. Um, and my professor was, is a uh, Greek PhD expert. So he was really, it was a class that was definitely like scholarly Greek related kind of stuff. Hmm. If you come, if you come our way, if you come my way, <laughs> could you put one of those in the, uh, something in the mailbox? So I one of the books? Uh-huh. Well, you have to, we have to go get it. We may, we, I may, can we borrow it? It's what she's asking. Yeah, y- y'all are welcome to borrow any of the stuff in my office. Just let me know okay. so I don't walk in and like, oh, 10 books are missing. No, <laughs> oh, yeah, no. of course. And, and I should say, I probably should say my, the dissertation I'm writing, which is going to end up being about 240 pages, part of that dissertation is on the different Old Testament genres, too. So in addition to the classes I took, I've also been doing a, a lot of research on the Old Testament in particular. Hmm. I, took, I took one class in, at Sanford like that. Hmm. I don't teach engineers at this kind of stuff. <laughs> Is there anything, any other questions? No, no. Is Michael? Yes. Um, when you were you were talking about sh- sh- a verse being on the cap or shirt or something like this, so so often people will have a favorite verse and really push that verse, and and we should keep it more in context. Is this what you're saying? Yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm not saying everybody that has a verse on their T-shirt does this or puts it on Facebook. But what I'm saying is um, just be careful if you do put a verse that what you take out of it is what the author wanted you to take out of it. Okay. For example, in, um, Paul talks about I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the one everybody and a lot of people go to that because he's actually talking about how to be content. And, you know, you see football players with that on their their eyeliner and stuff you know the point was never to say you can win a football game if you have Christ you know Um, so that's the kind of stuff you got to be avoiding that's kind of the classic example of what not to do well after next week um, I'm thinking uh, assuming the Lord doesn't change my mind about us starting Genesis and doing Genesis through the end of the year and uh, maybe in the spring we might do something else, but um, I think we have the especially the beginning of Genesis 
it's pretty interesting. And I, a lot of people have had questions over the last year about some of that stuff. So I think it's going to be fun to, to talk about it. Um, I actually thought about doing a sermon series on Genesis, but I figured it'd be much more fun for us to talk about it and debate some of the stuff, especially in like the first few chapters. And it would be for me just to get up here and preach a sermon. So that's what we're going to do. All right, let me pray and we'll, we'll leave. Dear God, thank you for bringing us here today and let us be able to learn more about your word. Lord, I pray that as we go out, you help those who are sick and ill, that you continue to heal them, help them get better. Lord, I pray you would protect our church and the people in it. And Lord, I pray you would protect our country. And God, I pray that as we leave here, that you help us to be good stewards of your word, uh, good Christians, Lord, that we would draw near to you and we draw near to you through reading your word. And God, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done, especially for showing us who you are um, through the scripture. And we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We'll see y'all Sunday or next week. Good night. I feel smart.